Welcome to Review the Future, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the impact of technology on culture. I'm Ted Cupper. I'm John Perry. And today we're going to talk about SuperNow. Uh, this is a term that we kind of coined, and so we're going to ask the question, what is SuperNow prediction? What are we talking about when we use that term? The basic technique of SuperNow is that you take current trends and you just simply exaggerate them. You just turn up the volume on it. Right. Them. It's the easiest way to predict the future. What's going to happen tomorrow? More of what's happening today. So one of the qualities of SuperNow prediction is that it assumes really no real change, right? And there's a lot of classic cliches that are tend to be upheld in these super now stories, like history repeats itself, or the more things change, the more they stay the same, or, you know, we're always going to be stuck with death and taxes. Right, there's no free lunch, right. All those, yeah, there's no free lunch in nature, specifically. Right. Um, and so, you know, these are futures that are presented that uphold uh, what David Brin has called eternal human verities. He's a science fiction author who particularly hates this type of writing. Um, and it's the type of thing that you see in, in literature a lot, uh, and he has a little bit of a quote about that. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he calls it a loathsome concept foisted on us by brooding husk-like academics, proclaiming that people will forever be the same, repeating every Proustian obsession uh, until the end of time and so on. So uh, it's, it, it's, an, I, it's a vision of the future that sees no real progress, really. I think that's right. his main objection. Right. It's a vision of the future that seems to think that uh, whatever technical progress happens, human beings will remain fundamentally the same with the same flaws with the same flaws the same concerns the same problems which i think you can easily push back against because there's plenty of things that you can point to that at least seem like progress uh right well or at I least mean, change of of a legitimate nature sure there's so many different um desires uh that are culturally determined that have changed drastically over human uh history already and uh, obviously, we are saddled with certain animal uh, remnants of our past. And I think that's what people are responding to in these stories. They're uh, assuming that all of human experience is like, um, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, jealousy over sex or something, something that comes from our past that doesn't, you know, suit our present, uh, that we're maladapted for. But I feel like there's many, many more things that are plastic and that have changed uh, drastically. We should talk about, I guess, what some of those things are. Well, I mean, I think the introduction of readily available birth control is a pretty big, you know, technological landmark that you sure. can look at before and after and see that that's maybe a different world. And uh, maybe the light bulb would be one. Um, I mean, there are definitely like these landmarks that you can say these are moments where the world before it did not look like the world after it. Gunpowder. Right. Well, I get that those are uh, big technical changes, but are those places where human nature, where an eternal human verity no. changed? I mean, I think there Not are places where, where things like um, basic, you know, basic human values have actually changed before uh, uh, in well, the, history, right? The move away from slavery, maybe, would be Sure. Uh, valuing human life <laughs> right. uh, is an obvious one. But I think there's uh, even much more subtle things like uh, standards of beauty, for example. Just the standard of beauty in the last 500 years has gone from being fat people who had enough to eat to being skinny people in our calorie-rich environment. Like, the technical reality changed, and, and our culture just changed with it. Right. So that's uh, aesthetics being flexible. That's an aesthetic one, yeah. That's, that's one that's changed recently, and it's obviously aesthetic, so maybe it's less ingrained. Um, but slavery is an inter interesting one because sure. you could imagine like people saying that you know the world will always have death taxes and slavery. Like I some, think like probably in, many people did say that, or some version. I'm of sure that. that if we were to Google around, we would find 
some uh, textual evidence of people assuming that the institution of slavery, which had been around since you know biblical times, would would last forever. So Super now assumes again that these fundamental human things don't change. And then another thing that you see in Super now prediction that may or may not be paired with that is extrapolating, you know, only one technology in isolation, right? Well, right. This is another flaw in science fiction or prediction that sort of leads to super now, right? Is this idea uh, uh, that you're going to take one technology and you're going to extrapolate it uh, to its logical extreme without changing the world around it. And this can make for a fun story, but of course it doesn't make for anything like uh, real life. Uh, and, you know, a simple example might be, you know, a movie I actually like, which is Eternal Sunshine. Right. I was just going to say Eternal Sunshine yeah. and Spotless Mind is a, a, a movie I really like. I think it's a great movie at um, at looking into the consequences of the this one potential technology of uh, memory erasing. Uh, but of course, since it takes place in a world where no other technical change has happened, where this is like a sort of weird niche service that's provided in one little place, uh, in one little corner of the world... Um, it doesn't, it, it can't really be about the future. It can only be about, um, you know, a very small slice of the present. All of a sudden, you know, a mysterious new startup company appears on the scene and so many of these stories or whatever. Right. Or in this case, it's like a a shady doctor's office, you know? Right. Yeah. And, uh, they don't even appear to be really trying very hard to monetize this revolutionary technology. Um, and that, that's, that's like a, you know, a, it's, it, it adds to the surreality of that particular film, which is already like, I think not really going for, uh, what we would call realism. Um, the oldest movie I can think of like that is that movie seconds. Did you ever yeah, see that? The Frankenheimer movie seconds, which yeah. is another movie I was just thinking of. Yeah, absolutely. That has uh, a shady organization. It kind does. of very similar. That gives you a second chance at life. Like right. they'll remake your, uh, your physical form. And- Although that organization is revealed in the movie. Not, I hope I'm not giving too much away to our listeners, but that's revealed in the movie to ultimately be, uh, a somewhat, um, fraudulent organization. Well, that's often the reveal in these stories right. too, which again is just going back it's to our that first no point. no free lunch, right? It's affirming yeah. the, the basic idea that there's no free lunch uh-huh. uh, in nature or with technology. <laughs> right. Ray Kurzweil is someone who's made this type of criticism frequently right. because obviously his whole you know thing is looking at the future as a sea as of, a holistic of different uh, yeah. right like uh you know uh, many technologies interacting with each other uh world right? so he uh he did that a recent film review of her but in that he referenced uh a previous uh criticism he'd made of the movie ai and ai is a movie that you can argue does this in the sense that it brings these human level cyborgs into the story and then almost nothing else has changed right right Yes, like Al Jorgensen is still popular in AI, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but there are human-level cyborgs. It's such a strange world. I think we talked about on the podcast, uh, recently there was a reboot of Total Recall, and one of the silliest things in that was that they had uh, human welders working in a robot factory building humanoid robots. Right. <laughs> and then the humanoid robots were policemen in the film, so they were walking around identifying criminals and shooting them. They were that dexterous but they were apparently not dexterous enough to weld their own replacements, uh, even though that's obviously something that robots do now for, for cars. It's, it's much, much harder, um, apparently, to do police work than... Uh, or no, much easier much to do easier police work to than to weld. police work yeah. than to weld things, which is, I mean, it's literally something robots already can do. Doesn't so it's, it's so yeah. insane. Um, and that's the kind of... Obviously, that's a failure of prediction beyond just super now. That's, uh, that's not even now. That's super yesterday. So then that moves us into the third thing that these super now stories do, which is that they have new things in them, but the new things are just metaphors. 
they don't really make sense as predictions. They're just something that we have now, uh, either on steroids or uh, with like space in front of the name. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, the the oldest version of this is just the Jetsons, which seems to have like space everything, space sneakers. I mean, I would argue that's what flying cars are. It's just it's a flying car, cars, but right. now it's in the air. Right, exactly. Or, you know. Flying cars and hover uh, hover skateboards are just. Things that were already around in the 80s, but uh, flying. <laughs> it's the hyper version of this. It has, you right. know, it, more silver on it and stuff. Yeah. Right, right. And there's tons of versions of this. Um, in Star Wars, they have uh, the laser blasters, which uh, are apparently, they have like dodgeable laser bullets. And just future of just, guns, yeah. Instead of just shooting a laser beam, which would not be dodgeable, obviously. Well, uh, move but, at the speed of light. You know, you wouldn't actually see it, you know, traveling. Right, and it would also be constant. It wouldn't fire and blast, probably, right? Uh, (laughs) But since that's just a limitation of bullets, that seems crazy to carry that over into laser guns on purpose. There's many of these stories now that I think are written by Americans and are really just about, you know, what's seen as the decline of American civilization. the decline of American civilization. It's about right now what the culture is going through and our, like, current uh, things that we're worried about. Right, our anxiety over China and in Superset and also in 2030 china is like a big villainous force because of you know current anxiety with chinese debt but the likelihood of china being our biggest problem in the future is actually i think relatively small yeah it seems like the the two main villains in the future right now are china or maybe a mashup of television and the internet in this sort of like conglomeration of like evil consumer media that's going to cheapen our lives it's going to somehow cheapen our lives that's been the boogeyman forever the super sad true love story presents you know this hyper social networked where everybody's superficial and everything's kind of like a reality TV show that everyone's trapped in. Right. Everybody's their own sort of like host of their own reality TV show. Yeah. And 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 jeans have gotten so thin that they're see-through and everybody's constantly rating everybody else on their attractiveness. Everybody's cell phone is now like um, something they wear around their neck and it's called an apparat instead of a cell phone. But it's basically what it does is what a cell phone does today. It sends video and text and audio essentially. Right. Um, so it's, it's, they have these things that are like, you know, the apparatus is a metaphor for cell phones and the, the, uh, teen chat or whatever it's called is a, uh, or global teens. That's the name of it. The global teens is the, uh, is the metaphor for Facebook. Um, and the onion jeans is like this, you know, exaggeration of, of, of slutty fashion that's taken off or something. Well, sexualization of like younger people, I think in particular. Increasing sexualization of younger people, uh, by, by fashion industry. Um, then you have, uh, movies like, uh, Wally, right. Which shows like, uh, American gluttony taken to the extreme. Consumption, like just at the absolute extreme, the by and large, which is like a metaphor for Walmart and the, um, like the people who are so fat that they're like riding around on their anti-gravity chairs. Just about our obesity epidemic, basically. Right. Obesity and consumption and the, the just absurdity of that. And that's very similar actually to um, that Mike Judge movie, Idiocracy. Right, where they water the plants with Gatorade. And- right, where it's, it, it's the specific reason given in that movie is that the, the dumb people bred more than the smart people and eventually the dumb outnumbered the smart. So it's ruled by idiots. It's idiocracy. But... Uh, uh, but what they do is actually very similar. It's a consumption-based society. And, and this goes way back. I mean, one of my favorite uh, classic science fiction movies uh, is Sleeper, which is a parody uh, science fiction movie made by Woody Allen in the um, early 70s. And they have three technologies in Sleeper. Sleeper is a complete world. It's not like um, just doing one technology. He, go, he, you know, he gets uh, cryogenically frozen and he goes to the future. So the future is you know, a complete world around him. 
Uh, but it's very much just an exaggeration of the 70s. They have a telescreen. They have an orb, which is like a, a metaphor for drugs. It's like a technological drug. There's a lot of drug metaphors in all these stories. And, but yeah. uh, and then there's the orgasmatron, which is a closet that you go in and then it goes from red light to green light and has a ding. And when it, you come out, you've had an orgasm. So it's a, you know, it's a masturbatory aid or whatever it is, teledildonics or whatever you want to call it. But it's... Uh, um, it's just sex, drugs, and television. The Has three more to things do, yeah. that were popular in the 70s. You know, turned into silver orbs. Turned into silver, like, technology. Things exactly. that look future right? Sure, exactly. Uh, and, and I think, you know, it's worth talking about, you know, we're being critical, but we obviously like a lot of these books and movies and stories. And right. I think, the you know... The Recall remake accepted. I think I like everything else we mentioned. Sure, and if you're doing this stuff for the purpose of, of fiction, right, then I think that... Uh, you can you can justify this as being satire, right? And it's been said that you know science fiction is really only about the present. I I don't know that I buy that that has to be the case, but it certainly can talk about the present. I think it's a it's a difficult challenge to actually stretch your mind and get to actually new territory that isn't just a metaphor of something for now made more extreme. But right. some example, the same old people in a slightly new situation. But with nothing different about that. Yeah, the same people on space with robots, right, right? Right. But we can think of, you know, a couple examples. Um, ironically, somebody who often upholds this idea that uh, science fiction is really about the present is Cory Doctorow, and yet he's someone on our list of people who we think actually does tend to do a pretty good job of coming up with future scenarios that don't exist. I mean, they have some relationship to now and to current trends, of course. That's where they're coming from. But they actually do feel like speculative visions of new places that we could go right genuinely new dramatic situations that human beings might find themselves in um some of the examples uh doctor's first novel uh down and out in the magic kingdom which i really liked actually uh has people who are res- restored from backup which is uh, a pretty crazy um there's no analog in history thing. for that yeah i mean there's obviously there's stories about immortality from history but uh but unlike most of those stories uh his people don't really have a trade-off with it. It just sort of works and it's just part of their life and they just have to learn to deal with it, which is interesting. Well, they lose, it's kind of like reincarnation, but again, you like kind of lose time as you do it and it works more like software. So right, but you have, you keep your memories unlike reincarnation, unlike most reincarnation stories where you lose most of your memories or all of them. Uh, well, right. I, well, except for like Jesus. I don't oh, think Oh, that's resurrec- resurrection. Not resurrection. That's right. what I meant I was thinking say. of Lazarus actually and Jesus, and those are resurrection stories that are more similar. But also in that same book, he has this idea of woofy, which is an alternate currency based on reputation, essentially. Um, it's a pretty bizarre idea that, again, doesn't have a direct analog. It's a little bit related to uh, clout and other kinds of like online reputation management that actually didn't exist when that book came out. It's a little bit related to um, you know economic systems that we already have now, but it's not a straight analogy for that. Um, it really is like a kind of new way of of organizing the world that's not just, you know, it's not just communism or capitalism or something we've we've seen. I wouldn't be surprised before. if the makers of Clout uh, read that book, <laughs> given that the timing of how those yeah, things came out. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me I either. Mean, and so science fiction, of course, you know, when it as, is actually speculating, often drives the future. Sure, and there's a classic Ray Bradbury story about that, right? That one about the astronaut. Uh, the Toynbee the, convector? Right, right. Uh well, that one is, yes, it's indirectly about that. That's where somebody uh, pretends to be a visitor from the future right. with a fake time machine 
and he manages to trick the whole world that this is an actual uh, that he's an actual time he's, traveler. He's come from a time with all these great wonders, right? And then they end up building all the wonders that well, he, he describes. Well, he presents them, uh, you know, all the blueprints of the utopian future that he came from, right? And that sort of affirms for everybody a certain amount of hope that this is possible and this is what it can be like. And then fifty years later. Uh, they've actually built out all of the plans that he described as from the future, and that's when he re- reveals that it was a hoax all along, right? And that all humanity needed was just like the the inspiration, the, exactly. And that seems to be from Ray Bradbury, a thinly veiled uh, defense of science fiction and of speculative science fiction, which he was uh, a proponent of. And people like him and Asimov and uh, uh, others uh, at that time really did try to inspire people toward a better. Future. Well, it's thinking positively about progress as opposed to, you know, that's, I think, also what, what David Brin is pushing back against. It's yeah. like all the sea of dystopian visions that basically take the anxieties of now and say, we're never going to overcome them. Right, right, right. There's some other examples of science fiction authors that do some, I think, genuinely interesting new stuff. Sure. Uh, like David Marusek writes uh, books. His uh, main novel is Counting Heads. Right. In which people and mind over ship, right? That's the newer yes. one. Yes. Yeah. And people can kind of like cast sims or copies of themselves. He introduced this concept in a short story called The Wedding Album. And the idea is that they're like kind of talking photographs. They're these uh, molecular grade snapshots of a human being at a particular moment. And in the novels, he really thinks through many of the consequences of having this kind of technology. The sims are kind of kept for memories. Then the proxies are sort of sims that you cast only for a short time in order to do a particular task. So you sort of think of the task. You cast the proxy and then a, a version of you that's thinking of that task exists in the world, does the task and then stops existing. And there's even more sort of um, uh, development of that idea throughout the books. And Which it's is pretty, pretty interesting. It's kind of like having a secretary, but then the fact that it's you and then he also deals with the identity issues and right. the human rights issues of the Sims eventually. Yeah, eventually uh, he gets into the idea that the Sims are sort of granted rights as, as uh, beings in their, own, in their own right, which is interesting. And so, I mean, you know, there's no perfect analogy for this. It combines a lot of things that we're familiar with, but I think in a genuinely new way to actually raise new issues. Right. That, that it echoes like the slavery debate, for example, uh, and it echoes some of the privacy or data debates that we're having now. But by mixing identity in and having the, the, a very real way in which the sim is you... Uh, it complicates it uh, beyond anything that we really have uh, to deal with now. Um, another one, uh, uh, Ramez Nam's book, Nexus. Oh, yeah. Has, another book I like. And we've referred to this multiple times, but in this, you have this sort of, uh, these nanobots that go into your brain that allow you to wirelessly connect to other people's brains and basically share your thoughts telepathically with them directly. And he right. uses a drug metaphor uh, pretty heavily to, to, you know, talk about the sort of law enforcement that's trying to crack down on this technology. Right, right. But the technology itself uh, is really pretty different. Um, right. Well, it's, yeah, it does have some similarity to, um, historical stories about telepathy, right? That's one metaphor that it does use, but in the story, it goes beyond that into like a, a place that I think just regular old mind reading doesn't normally go to. You might be able to find some precedent in that literature for this, but I, I don't know of it where he actually kind of, um, you know, it goes into like the mind meld, which seems like... What happens when six people in a room are all thinking, like sharing each other's sharing each other's thoughts. thoughts. And, and again, this gets into this identity question that I think is has really not been something that human beings have ever had to deal with, even in um, traditional stories about, uh, about mind reading. 
uh, it, it, the idea that minds could permanently join like that is, or impermanently join like that is, 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 uh, I think pretty new. When I, I'm looking at our list, I feel like what a lot of these have in common is they grapple with identity issues. Cause that seems to like a leg- real legitimate thing that's on our future horizon. Right. That we're, that we might as well start struggling with in our fiction now. Right. Exactly. Craig Egan's written a lot of great science fiction. Um, I guess the one I'm thinking of is, is diaspora, uh, which has, you know, humans, in the far, far future, you know, uploaded as software, and a lot of them choose to live in these different communities in, in different ways. And they have, you know, an extreme amount of control over themselves, and in fact, over their own minds. And I think that's a really strange place to go that right. there's no analog for now. I mean, you can, right now, you can read a self help book and try to improve yourself, or you right, can, right. you know, try to hypnotize yourself, or you can try to forget a traumatic memory, but you can't really you can't redesign your personality or like almost like lock yourself out of your old self, you know? Right. This is a place where I think there could be potentially really interesting stories uh, still to tell because uh, there's a lot of um, super now type stories that are about um, say uh, eugenics, right? Right. Like uh, where current um, discrimination, uh, Gattaca is a great example of this. It's a good movie. I like Gattaca, but Gattaca is basically just about discrimination. It's also super now. And it's totally super now, and it's just, uh, uh, you know, um, the eugenics um, uh, amplification of, of discrimination that we already have. Uh, but if you also then give people the power to reprogram themselves in a world like Gattaca, in a discriminatory world like that, um, then you could see like a, a, a new... Um, a, a new problem would come up, which is, uh, again, dealing with identity. How much do you want to change yourself to make yourself uh, what society values? And that's sort of interesting. That's something that we don't really have to deal with in a real way now. Um, well, because there's, there's, because a, lot there's of, a lot of limits yeah. to how you can change yourself. I mean, you can have a makeover, but it's, it, all those stories are always, at, at the end of the day, about being true to yourself. Because at the end of the day, that's all you can do. That, that has to be the, the message of like a makeover movie or, or book now, because that's all you can manage is, is to be the person you are. But if you can actually successfully redesign yourself to be some superior person uh, along some metrics. Well, there's no point in for uh, uh, Belle to put up with the beast at that point, right? <laughs> exactly. You know, the beast might as well go get extreme surgery and remake himself as the handsome prince she always wanted, right? Exactly. So, so all those old you know, fairy tale messages don't become relevant anymore. We're going to we're going to work hard. We're both going to get jobs until we can pay for your reconstructive surgery to unbeastify you. <laughs> which is the new ending for that possibly. I don't know. But you know, this reminds me of another That's funny. Like example, that. which is Ted Chang, right? Uh, right. Uh, Ted Chang is a is a really good author and and most of his stuff isn't trying to be speculative and that it's not set in any particular future moment. But he does go to genuinely interesting philosophical territory that's not just about now turned up in the volume. So one example is he wrote a, a story about beauty. Do you right. remember the name of it? Uh, I don't remember the name of the look. Well, of the Ted's going to look up the look story. That up. Yeah. But the, the premise of the story is that they find a way to suppress the part of your brain that perceives beauty. And people voluntarily... Uh, actually, you know, have this switch flipped in their brains so that they aren't biased anymore around beautiful people. Right. That story is called Liking What You See, a documentary, and it's presented as a, a documentary that you're seeing a transcript of. So you, it, it cuts from interview to interview, and that's how it tells its story. Uh, but it is set at a college, and it, it addresses lookism as a sort of 
the metaphor being for racism or sexism as like a, a thing that people are against. So in that sense, there's a little bit of a metaphor, but it does, as John says, go you know to this really new place of dealing with what would you do if you had the ability to uh, not see beauty? Right. And it might, you know, allow you to, you know, treat people more objectively and more fairly, but then is something lost because of the appreciation of beauty being so important to us? And uh, yeah, I mean, you should just read the story because it just goes in genuinely interesting and new places. Yeah. His short story collection is called Stories of Your Life and Others. So anyways, now you know what Super Now is. Uh, so when you see something in science fiction that looks like it's really just, you know, not tried very hard to go to anywhere new, then yeah. this is what you can call it, Super Now. Yeah. And then maybe you can be as annoyed with that as we are. And you'll have a name for why it annoys you. It's super now. All right. Thanks for listening. To subscribe or leave a comment on this episode, please visit reviewthefuture.com. You can also send emails to feedback at reviewthefuture.com. Thanks for listening.